Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I just have to say, as an encouragement, um, you know, when Miss Brittany told me that we were going to sing So Will I, this morning I said, that's, that's ambitious. That's ambitious. That's a, it's a long song. There's lots of words. And as I was worshiping in, out in the congregation, I have to tell you that as your worship pastor, I was just so proud, um, so proud of you and so um, awed by, by the way that God is working. You jumped in and you, you engaged and you sang this really long song with lots of words, um, but that song is our story. That is our whole redemption story. So I just want to thank you um, and praise the Lord for the way that you touched me this morning by entering into that song. Let's pray together before we jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have set us in this family. Thank you so much that you use music as a gift to teach us things about you, to reveal yourself to us and as a way that we can commune with you and give praise back to you. And thank you that you do the same thing through your living word. Would you reveal more about yourself to us this morning through these chapters and verses? And would uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so when I was in college, when I was an undergrad, um, a friend and I wanted to celebrate something. I think we had just gotten through finals or um, there, was, there was something that we wanted to celebrate. And the nearest bigger town was about 15, 20 minutes away. And there was an olive garden there. Who likes olive garden? I mean, what? I mean, the breadsticks, how can you not like these breadsticks? So um, there was an olive garden and we were about 20, maybe 21. And we decided this was going to, this was quite a splurge. Like this was really fancy for us, you know, poor college students to go to this town and um, go into the olive garden to celebrate. So we got our, our pastas, we got our meals and, um, and for whatever reason, like in that, in that time of the Olive Garden cutlery and dishes, <laughs> their bowls were kind of like this, uh, like this size, but the lip around the bowl, around the plate was like four inches wide. And so the bowl was actually much smaller than what it looked like because the lip of this, the lip was so huge. And so the meal comes to an end and we're of course wanting to take home um, the rest of our meals because we had <laughs> filled up on breadsticks and salad, unlimited soup and breadsticks and salad. So we wanna take the rest of our meals home um, and, and kind of make them last for as, as many meals as we can, poor college students. And a lot of times at places that are like buffets or like all you can eat, you know, you can, it's all you can eat there, but you can't just take it. You can't take anything home. So we didn't know, we didn't trust that we were going to be able to take these breadsticks home that were still left. So genius, what we thought was a genius plan. We tucked 
these breadsticks underneath the giant lip of these bowls. And <laughs> so the waitress comes back and says, and you know, we think this is great because she's gonna she's gonna come back and, and offer us boxes to take these meals home. So she comes back and says, Do you wanna you wanna box these up to take these home? Yes, that would be great. Like, well, you know, thank you. Let's have some boxes. She says, Okay, wonderful. Well, I'll go ahead and box these up for you. Uh-huh, you know what's coming. She picks up the bowls and lifts them up, and there on the white tablecloth are two circles of breadsticks hiding underneath these bowls. And my friend and I just freeze. Like we freeze in mortification. We're staring at each other and like we can't move. We're just, we're frozen and we're so mortified. And she looks down at the table and she just kind of laughs and she's like, I'll bring you some breadsticks, guys. <laughs> so, so she goes back and we sit there frozen for like 10 seconds and then we just lose it. We just burst out laughing. I'm sure she has told that story for years. I'm sure they went back to, she went back to the kitchen and they were just howling with laughter at us. And I'm like, we were full grown adults. I was a full grown adult. I was not like 10 years old. I like full grown adult. And I, <laughs> and we pulled this because we thought, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to get breadsticks to take home. And contrast that to my years, you know, years later, my years in New York City, um, my youngest sister, when I lived in New York, she was, she was, you know, only a teenager. So she would come and visit all the time. And, um, you know, I lived in Manhattan for most of the time that I lived in New York. And so, oh, you know, Beth's nice apartment and, oh, we get to do all these fun things. But now that she's an adult and she's, um, she kind of crunches numbers a lot in real estate and, um, for accounting and things like that. And, and she looks back on my time there and she lives on the East coast. And so she, she's gone back to New York city um, quite a few times. And she, and she just questions, she asks questions of me. And then, and she remembers her visits when, when I lived there. And she's like, on paper, your life in New York makes no sense. Like, how did you afford this? The math just does not work out. And I kind of shrug and I, I, you know, like, eh, I don't know, but really I trusted God a lot in that time of my life. Um, there are a few times that really stick out in my mind that I was miraculously financially provided for at the last minute. Um, and they have to do with radical and sacrificial giving from my church community. Um, we were in a, a community, a church community. I was in a church community at the time that we we really lived in such a way that we knew the ins and outs of each other's days and lives and problems and relationships. And there was just this sense of, hey, this is, this is what the church is for. Like, this is what we're for. You need money. Like, how much do you need? We, we'll collect money. Like, we'll take care of each other. And I was able to trust God a lot because his people were allowing themselves to be used by him in a tangible, sacrificial way. So in other words, during that time, I did not grow weary. Trust in God and death to self are what open the floodgates 
for God's all-consuming love and sufficiency to flow through us and out into this world. So death to self in, in, this, um, in this example, death to self was um, for my friends and, and congregation members was, um, was sacrificial giving. Um, was trusting that God was going to provide for them even as they handed over this money to take care of someone else. And, and death to self for me was death to my pride, death to my self-sufficiency in receiving a gift um, of monetary value that I did not deserve. So if you look at the Olive Garden story, and how we didn't trust that the breadsticks were going to be coming to us or, or be coming home with us. That's, I think, sometimes how we think of God's provision. We, we treat it with skepticism. We don't think that there will be generosity. That we need to take all we can get while we can. Contrasted to my years of just trusting and abiding in him when I was living in New York City, so trust in God and abandoning yourself to him and um, are really what helps us um, in, in believing in that sufficiency of God and then helps us to not sort of make our way into weariness and unbelief. And that doesn't mean I feel that way right now. Right now, who feels weary? I'm pretty weary. Can we raise our hands? Can we be honest with each other as a community of faith? Who is feeling weary right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're weary as a nation. Um, we're we like, I just, there's so much weariness and weariness of soul many times leads to acting out of disbelief acting out of unbelief and, and, and we can say doubt. We don't really believe or turn to Jesus as our sustenance. Where do we turn? And to whom do we turn? You can shout out some answers here. This is, this is interactive. Yeah. Food. Yeah, that's a good one. Work. Yep. Money, obviously security. Yep. The lottery. Oh my goodness. That's so good. I should have thought of that. Where's the nearest place I can get a lottery ticket? But that, I didn't even think of that. Yes. Some of us turn to the lottery and that's like, that's turning to luck. That's turning to chance and luck. Yeah. Wow. That's a good one. The lottery. Where else? Where else do we turn? Friends. Yeah, absolutely. Friends. God set us in community on purpose and set us in family on purpose. But yeah, when we use friends more than we're using him, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't what he had in mind. Yeah, these are all great, great ideas of what we do and where we turn to when we don't really believe that Jesus is our sustenance and we start acting out of disbelief. Let's look at our scripture today. We are in this series called I Am. And, um, and Jesus used these, these I Am statements in seven declarations about himself. And in all of them, he combines I Am. So hearkening back to 
Old Testament, who are you? I am, you know, with Moses at the bush, same Z's, um, you know, cause he's speaking with Jews a lot in, in these chapters. And so he combines these, I am statements with tremendous metaphors that express his saving relationship toward the world. So let's read this together. This is John chapter six, starting at 31 and going to 35. So they asked him, these are the Jews, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hallelujah. Jesus was weary. Here's some context for this exchange. He was trying to get away from the crowds to no avail. He had crossed the Sea of Galilee and the crowd found him. He had, um, he'd, he'd done all of these things to try to get away um, and kept following him. He was weary. And so after some time, Jesus asks Philip, who was in charge of the money, hey, how are, how are we going to feed these people? There's thousands of them. So even though he was weary, he was still having mercy on the people here. And Philip's answer kind of displays his lack of faith because um, he's like, eh, we don't have any money. We don't have enough money to give any of them even the smallest bit of food. And then finally, Andrew brings to Jesus a boy who had five small loaves of bread and two fish. And with that amount, Jesus miraculously fed this throng of people with lots of food to spare. So even his disciples still don't fully know who they are with. And then later, Jesus accuses this crowd of ignoring his already miraculous signs that had been performed and only following him for the quote unquote free meal, right? He says to them in John um, 6, 27, which is right before what we just read, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man, hello, me, which the son of man will give you. And so in other words, they were so enthralled with the food that they were missing out on the fact that their Messiah had come, that he was standing right in front of them. And so the Jews asked Jesus for a sign that he was sent from God as if the miraculous, miraculous feeding and walking across the water weren't enough that had already happened. And then they tell Jesus that God gave them manna during, um, during the desert wandering. This is really important. And we're going to come back to this. So let's talk about bread. 
<sighs> in biblical times, bread was the staple of the diet. In this culture, it is essential for sustaining life. And this is so much the case that oftentimes bread is equal to our word food. So bread can be translated a lot as food. We even use the phrase um, breaking bread together, right? To indicate that we're, we're going to share a meal with someone or a group of people. Okay, so bread is, is it in terms of sustaining the physical body. And then bread also plays this key role in religious tradition as a symbol. We read in Exodus and Leviticus and, and kind of all over the Old Testament, it is used as one of the atoning sacrifices because it was so precious. It was so cherished. And so, you know, you, they would, if you didn't have um, your cow or your, your animal, bread was also used as an atoning sacrifice. And also during the time of temple worship, 12 loaves, 12 fresh loaves of bread always had to be laid out on the table, arranged on a table before the Holy of Holies. Um, maybe more known to us is the unleavened bread must be a part of the Passover ritual, the Passover meal. The matzah bread, because it was, it was bitter and reminded them of the affliction they suffered before God delivered them, them from the Pharaoh. So it was part of that um, ritual, part of that religious tradition as a symbol. Bread was also used as a hospitality gift in the Old and New Testament culture because it was so cherished again. And then most importantly, bread was given as divine provision. When God's people wandered in the wilderness after Exodus, he miraculously sustained their physical life on earth by providing this bread from heaven, this manna. I was trying to think of something in our tradition that um, our current tradition that plays this kind of a role, but we live in such abundance that it's really hard to think of someone. Someone recently um, actually just said coffee. Like coffee could be this, this to us, which I think is really spot on. I mean, we, my goodness, we worship coffee in our, in our culture and we think it is the sustainer of life. Right. Um, but I was also thinking about the church building. So for centuries now, the church building has been the place that we come to, to commune with one another. Um, we come to for sustenance from the word of God, um, sustenance, even physical sustenance. Hello, potlucks. Yeah. Come on somebody. So, so I was thinking, you know, what if it was that Jesus said, like, I am the church building of life, right? Or I am the coffee of life instead of I am the bread of life. But there's, there's nothing in our culture right now that really, um, shows us the significance of bread throughout the Old and New Testament. So it was important as a physical sustenance, but also as a symbol. And this symbol means, this is important, this symbol means God will meet the needs of his people.
physical symbol or, or physical sustenance and a spiritual symbol, it is so significant that it means God will meet the needs of his people. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So let's go back to this story where he's having this exchange with the Jews that are following him. And, and so he responds to their question, hey, what sign are you going to give us? You know, like back then, um, God provided us with this miraculous bread from heaven, the manna. So this is just so important. And I think we miss this sometimes. So Jesus responds by telling them that they need to ask for the true bread from heaven that gives life. And when they ask Jesus for this bread, he startles them by saying, I am this bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So the irony of these Jews telling Jesus about the sign of manna from heaven is that when he fed the 5,000 right now in the physical present with them, when he fed the 5,000, most scholars say it was during Passover. This is incredible. During Passover, the celebration, the ritual, the reminder of the wandering in the desert and the manna from heaven. If not during Passover, scholars, most scholars say during Passover, if not during Passover, either right before or right after. So it was, so Passover was fresh in their minds. They were either going through it right at that moment or had just gone through it. And they're telling him about the miracle in the desert, the feeding, the miraculous physical feeding the miraculous physical sustenance. And look, Jesus just did the same thing. He just miraculously physically sustained 5,000 and probably even more than that with women and children in front of their very eyes. He just did it again. Oh, this is incredible, right? Oh, the word of God, the word of God. So let's not miss that. Um, and so he does, he does sustain them in the physical again with miraculous bread again in order to point them to the fact that he is standing in front of them as the eternal bread, the spiritual bread. Incredible. He's pointing back to the Exodus story, the most key story in the Israelites' history. And then he's like, hello, look, samesies, you know, like back then, here we are now, samesies. He can also offer eternal sustenance because he is the Messiah. Hallelujah. So after the bread of life statement, Many followers deserted him. We read that in scripture, right? You know, right after. So Peter and the disciples did reaffirm their commitment to him, but there was this, you know, there's this scripture, like this grumbling, this was a hard teaching. This is a hard saying. And I understand because this was the part where he said, you know, to have eternal life or to follow me, you have to drink my blood. You have to eat my flesh. 
I don't know if I would have stuck around if someone said, hey, in order to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh. Yeah, that's, that's hard. It's a difficult saying. So a lot of people deserted him after this. But in each of these episodes, I want us to notice in each of these episodes, the I am statements, the people whom Jesus encounters move either toward him in faith or away from him in faith. They're either recognizing and professing who he is when they're confronted with it, or they're misunderstanding and rejecting and walking away. Even the miracles did not sway everyone. I also want us to notice the words come and believe. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me, these are invitation words. This is the invitation for those that are listening to place their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of God. This invitation to come is found throughout John's gospel. He did this on purpose. Coming to Jesus involves making a choice, believing Jesus is who he says he is, involves making a choice to forsake the world and follow him. So my question for you is, is Jesus truly your sustenance? We've already talked about all these other things that we go to when we're down and out. And I want to encourage you that Jesus will sustain us. He will renew us. He will refresh us. He will restore us. But I don't know if I believe that. I don't even know if I live like that half the time. Hmm. Uh, Dan Allender is, um, is a wonderful Christian writer and professor and he's done a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of writing in um, healing and sort of healing trauma um, and redeeming each person's story as reconciled to Christ. And he has this incredible quote, abundance is not about possession. It is utterly, completely, and solely about gratitude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. Abundance is not about possession. It is utterly, completely, and solely about gratitude. Friends, abundance doesn't mean stuff, even favor. Fa you know, we use this term, God's favor. Even favor doesn't necessarily mean stuff. Abundance means gratitude. There's another thing that I want to point out here that just, just the, the glory of our God that revealed in Scripture Bethlehem, you know, we've talked about the fact that Beth means house in Hebrew, because that's really annoying to me. 
you know, so Bethel, house of God, Bethlehem is translated to house of bread, or you could say city of bread. Also maybe house of food. And so just think about this. The God who provided bread in the wilderness, miraculous bread, manna from heaven in the wilderness, sent his son as the salvific bread from heaven and ordained that he would be born in the city of bread. Oh my goodness. Are you beginning to see the importance of bread? (laughs) The importance of bread as a symbol and a sustainer through the entire canon of scripture. The God who provided bread in the wilderness sent his son as the salvific bread from heaven and ordained that he would be born in the city of bread. Hallelujah. I want you to also notice that in this account, in John's gospel, he's the only one out of the, the gospel writers that makes this, that, um, that lets us know this detail that when they, they ate the bread, the miraculous, the feeding of the 5,000, it was as much as they wanted. And then there's this other detail with much left over. Oh. This was not shrewd. This was not calculating. God's grace and provision and sustenance is not neat and tidy. It's overwhelming and overflowing. Do I really believe that? Do you really live like that? Let's, let's look at this, this powerful clip from the musical Les Miserables. Yeah, I mean, we could just, <laughs> we could just watch that and, you know, the sermon, sermon's over. <laughs> Worship is over, right? That's, it's so powerful. It's so the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this bishop, he was stolen from... He had taken a stranger into his home and offered him kindness. And instead of exacting justice, he acts in radical mercy, the radical mercy and and generosity of our savior and says, are you going to leave the best behind here? The candlesticks will bring you the most money. Here you go. And he tells the guards, yeah, what this man said is true. He speaks true. The priest, the bishop, sorry, knew where his sustenance lie. His sustenance, his abundance, his continuation here on earth is provided by Jesus. And so he could be generous with his possessions because someone else needed to know that. 
and notice the language that he used when talking about Jean Valjean, this kind of vagrant who had come into their home, honored guest. This is our honored guest. This man speaks true. This man is a child of God. Do I really believe, do I really act out of this kind of generosity and assurance that my sustenance is in Jesus? One more scripture we're going to look at together. It's chapter 4. So John 4, 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. So I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe right now, not four months from now. Fall is here, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, I think I am the only one that doesn't like fall. No, Karen, Karen, um, yes, Karen likes the summer and the warmth and the sunshine, just like me. Um, we might be the only ones that don't like the fact that fall is here. Um, fall, you know, fall to me just means death is coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, not a theater kid at all. Uh, yeah, death is coming and five months of just sticks. Yeah, so that's what fall means to me. But while we're thinking about turkey dinner and pumpkin spice lattes and yummy fall treats and family recipes, Jesus is talking about a different type of food. Do you realize that over these next three months, food, like, oh my goodness, food becomes this idol. It's like way, way up here. It's like so important to us in these next three months. People have family members, have knocked down, drag out fights about recipes. People are stressed to get the right turkey at the right time, the right size, the right field <laughs> that it comes from. Stressed. Food becomes this, this thing that's not about sustenance, right? And Jesus is saying, that's not the point. The food I'm talking about is spiritual. It is not physical. We often, if, if we're talking about spiritual food, we often think of the Eucharist, of Holy Communion, the body and blood of Christ. But that's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying spiritual food is doing the will of God the Father. Spiritual sustenance is doing the will of God the Father. The Greek word for will here means a want, a desire, a discipline to do. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Jesus says in Matthew and, um, and in Mark, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And then the same chapter um, that we're in, chapter six, he teaches about this in a little more detail. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of my father who sent me. That of all those he has given me, I will lose none, but should raise them up at the last day. That everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise them up at the last day. Spiritual food, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. It is to do the work. There's a Samaritan woman in this whole, in, you know, in this kind of, uh, these couple chapters in John that we're in. And Jesus, Jesus meets her and they have this exchange. It's very well known. You can, you can look it up if you want to, but, but Jesus confronts He sees her and speaks to her and then confronts her life. And she's so incredibly moved and bowled over by this confrontation, not confrontation, by this exchange with Jesus that she goes into the town and says, you have to follow this man. He told me everything I ever did. He saw me. He knows me. He didn't condemn me. He challenged me. So then we must fulfill the will of God by imitating this Samaritan woman, by sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's kingdom. In this moment, she is equal to the apostles. She actually helped sow the seeds because of her encounter with Jesus. She helped sow the seeds that the apostles would eventually reap in harvest. So here's another question. How will we reap the harvest that our predecessors sowed? And how will we plant seeds that will lead to a new generation of faithful and dedicated and committed Christians to sprout up and grow? This is God's will. This is our food to do his will. We saw this gloriously played out yesterday by joining CityServe. Who was there? Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Wasn't it amazing? That was over 3,000 people, over 100 projects from dozens of churches all over the city, locking arms with sisters and brothers from different churches, different, um, different cult- cultures, different church backgrounds all over the city, to serve the least of these and point people to the love of Christ. It should not be a one and done. It should be an all year thing, but let us do his work and be satisfied. There is a choice involved here, just like we see throughout the gospel of John. This message is entitled, you are what you eat. So are you consuming skepticism, weariness, unbelief? Are you consuming doubt? Are you consuming fear? Or even a little more close to home than fear, are you consuming like fretfulness? Are you just fretting, fretting over everything? And even closer to home, are you consuming 
hurry. You know, one of my, we've talked about this before. One of my favorite Dallas Willard quotes is ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. To grow in relationship and intimacy with Jesus, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So are we just consuming hurry? No one in this room should get in the car with me. I'm one of those people that doesn't really understand if you're driving on the roads I don't understand if you're not in a hurry. If you're not in a hurry, then get off the road. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's not good. That's something that needs to be transformed in me. Are you consuming things? I need the bigger house. I need, you know, I need more things. I need more cars. I need more products. Are you consuming self-sufficiency? Or... Are you consuming gratitude? Are you consuming generosity? Are you consuming grace? Are you consuming radical mercy? And are you consuming rest in Jesus as your sustainer and provider? Are you consuming abiding in Jesus? Yeah. Here's my last question. There's this tension between being and doing. Being, you know, we know that um, as followers of Jesus, we could sit on a couch for the rest of our lives and he would still love us and we would still see him face to face at the end of days. He wouldn't love us any more or any less. And so there's, um, there's some people that are much more inclined to this being with Jesus. Oh, I could just, I could just worship in song or in prayer for four hours and just be in his presence. And that's all I need. And that's all I need to do. Just be with him. And then we have this other end of the spectrum, which is I just need to do. I need to do, do, do. I need to go to this soup kitchen. I need to go to this, blah, 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 blah. Do, 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 do. And it's not grounded in the relationship, in the presence of being with Jesus. So which one do you tend toward? Because we can't just do one or the other. We can't just sit in worship all the time and soak in his presence and think, that that's all. And we can't just do, 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 do. And think that that's all. Which one do you tend towards? Jesus said, my spiritual food, our spiritual food is to do the work of God the Father. But which one do you need to press into? Listen, he feeds the hunger of the world, the physical hunger, and the hunger inside. Both of them, he feeds with himself. What is the manifestation of Jesus Christ here on earth now? What is his body? Yeah, the church. 
He feeds the hunger of this world, the physical sustenance, still through himself. It's the church. We have to go out and do. And he feeds the hunger inside, still with himself. What is that? With his Holy Spirit. If we look at the canon of scripture from this view, this up here, up here, I want you to notice the important and prominent markers where bread, where bread plays a part. Bread is a staple of life. Okay, so over here, we start over here. Bread is a staple of life for God's people and comes through his provision. Then we move a little bit further. Bread is given in the form of miraculous physical sustenance as his people are wandering in the wilderness. And then we move further over here into the New Testament. The spiritual reality of faith in Christ and his atoning death are shown in this, this symbol of bread. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat this bread or drink this cup, the spiritual reality of faith in Christ and his atoning death. And then over here, all the way over here, we have the participation in the coming banquet, the feast we will enjoy when he comes back to claim his bride, Revelation 2.17, the hidden manna that will be given to us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is a wonderful transition into celebrating together the holy meal communion this morning. Pastor Eric.